We've been telling you about Walter's Brunts the last few days, but did you know that Walter's also is open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walter's opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and the remainder of Euro 2020. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walter's. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ross is ready. He winds, kicks, and deals. Swing and a miss. He got him on the off speed. Strikeout number 10 for the third time in Joe Ross's career. What a performance by Joe Ross this afternoon. 10 strikeouts over six innings. Ross coming set. He delivers. Swing and a line drive left field. Base hit toward the line. This one's going to go to the corner. Gavin Lux will score. Pujols rounding first will hold on with a go-ahead RBI single. Dodgers lead 2-1. to one. Albert Pujols does it again. He's driven in a run in each of the four games in this series. And now Suero coming set. This will be a 1-0. Swing and a long drive to center field. Back goes Parra, still back, backpedaling at the wall. Can't get it. Over his head off the wall. He's down and hurt. It carries back toward the infield. Two runs will score. Justin Turner into third. And into second is Muncy with a double, and the Dodgers lead 5-1. to one. And welcome to Nat Chat for Monday, July 5th, 2021. Hope you had a nice July 4th. The Nationals did not have a nice July 4th, along with Nat's insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats winning 14 of 17. It sure feels like a while ago now. Four-game sweep to the Dodgers at Nationals Park, completed with a 5-1 loss to L.A., on Sunday. Nats now two games below 500 at 40 and 42. The run differential back to being in the double digit negative territory at minus 13 on the season. We had yet another Nats injury pop up on Sunday as Jan Gomes was unable to catch due to his arm being sore off that hit by pitch that he took on Saturday night. And the Nats end up getting outscored in the series 26 11. There's not a lot of good right now. The Nats do have at least three All-Stars. That's good. That's nice. But most everything else over these last few days, not so good and not so nice for the Nationals, Mark. Yeah, well, look, you said that 14 of 17 is no more. Well, they've won 14 of 21, so that's not bad. Like (laughs) if three weeks ago I said, hey, they're going to win 14 of the next 21, you would have taken that, right? You would have. Yeah. Now, the path they got there was maybe the part that is uh, a little bit troubling. And you mentioned what the total score of the series was. Here's the series in a nutshell to me is that from innings one through four, the combined score was Nats nine, Dodgers six. They actually won the first four innings. And after that, from the fifth inning on, they were outscored 20 
to two. And that tells me a lot and tells me a lot about the current state of both these teams, the rosters they have right now, and how they fit into the bigger picture. And that is that the Dodgers actually have a bullpen with multiple arms that Dave Roberts can use. And they have a bench with actual players who can deliver in big spots that Dave Roberts can use. And the Nationals, in the big picture, that's one question, but certainly for the last four days, have not had anything close to that. Davey Martinez was not playing with a full deck, and it showed, and that to me was the overwhelming difference between these two teams. I don't know what would happen if they were fully at full strength going against each other, but I do know that when they're undermanned against the Dodgers, there was no chance, especially in the second half of these games. No, I mean, the Nats got run over in this series. You know, let's just be honest about it. The Nats got steamrolled by the Dodgers in this series. The Nats lineup on Sunday had Josh Harrison as a leadoff batter, Starlin Castro as a number three batter, Yadiel Hernandez as the number five batter, Alcides Escobar as the number six batter. I mean, on and on we can go. This was like a 4A lineup in a lot of ways. And guys are doing what they can, but when you're going up against the Dodgers, like this is not good enough. And it clearly ended up not being good enough. And even in a series in which you avoid Walker Bueller and you avoid Trevor Bauer, you still end up getting swept. The Nats have had a horrendous run of bad injury luck lately. There are no two ways about that. This is really some rut the Nats are in right now where every day something is popping up. I mean, that Jan Gomes thing, and I don't know if he would have caught anyway. I guess he probably would have, but he's been catching a ton lately. But like every day, somebody else pops up. You're like afraid. I keep saying this, but you're afraid to refresh Twitter because you're afraid to see who the next guy is. It's like one by one, guys are dropping like flies here with the Nationals. And you're always like at the end of the day, okay, did the Nats win or lose? And who got hurt today? Or whose injuries, whose injury popped up today? And it's been like that the last few days here with the Nats. It's pretty crazy. I, I don't know that I remember a stretch like this with prominent names. And like you said, it's almost like one every day here for this last week. And yeah, I mean, they, they were not playing with a full deck. In the case of Gomes, he probably would not normally catch an 11 a.m. game after catching a game that ended at 1230 the night before. However, if he was healthy, given what the current state of the lineup is and the desperation they were facing, maybe he would have just because they had no choice if he was available because the drop off from him to Trace Barrera is huge. And the lineup, I mean, who would have thought we'd ever say this? Jan Gomes is an integral part of this lineup right now. He's been batting fifth for them most of the time, and he hit the three-run homer off of Kershaw on Saturday night, so maybe he would have had to. It's fine that he missed this game. If he has to miss Monday in San Diego, oh man, what are we doing now? This is becoming a real problem. But yes, it's asking too much for this team with this lineup to try to win without Schwarber and Turner and Gomes on the same day. But you have to have replacements for them that are at least competent big leaguers. And as we saw this weekend, the replacements that the Nationals had are not up to snuff. No, I mean, we've said it a bunch, and I really believe it. I think this series, more than any other series, highlights the Nats' poor roster construction, the lack of depth, the lack of position flex, as Ron Rivera likes to say. I mean, the Nats just don't have any options beyond the obvious starters with this team. And you saw that over these last few days. I mean, Yadiel Hernandez... In this game, he ends up going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts on Sunday. You see Gerardo Parra in center field late in a game. And look, I know Victor Robles is horrendous right now as a batter. He had an awful series. But the baby shark, I mean, that, that was a bad defensive miscue in center field. That Max Muncy went out bases loaded two-run double. Parra is backtracking toward the center field wall, then turns toward his right, ultimately crashes into the wall, essentially, as the ball bounces off the wall. I mean, you hate to see something like that. 
And, you know, I was thinking about the Dodgers watching this game, you know, doing some uh, some note taking on the game. And you look at like all these different Dodgers who can do all these different things. Like take Chris Taylor, right? The Virginia product. Chris Taylor just this season has played center field, second base, left field, shortstop, third base and right field. Aside from Josh Harrison, who can play a few positions, although he can't play all of those positions, but he can play a few. Who do the Nats have who even comes close to having the kind of positional versatility that Chris Taylor has? And he's far from the only guy on the Dodgers who does that. The Nats with this series wrapped up an 0-7 season against the Dodgers. The Nats weren't injury ravaged in all those games. You really saw the difference between these two teams and really these two organizations in the matchups between these two teams this season. Yeah, and Chris Taylor is not some kind of backup super utility man. He's an everyday player. And like you said, he's not the only only one. Cody Bellinger, an MVP player, plays center field and first base regularly for them. Max Muncy, one of their best hitters, plays first base and second base for them. They can move almost anybody around at any time. And it's such a benefit for Dave Roberts to be able to do that. Now, look, they're at the far extreme of that spectrum. There are hardly any teams in baseball that can do what they do with that much talent. I mean, the fact that Albert Pujols, and I know we say, oh, he's at the end of his career, he's not much anymore. He had four RBIs in this series, one in each game. He keeps delivering when they call on him, and he's, you know, the last man off their bench, essentially. The Nationals' last man off their bench is, you know, John Lester, as we pointed out. Both of them had two pinch hit appearances in this series. But why was John Lester pinch hitting all that time? Because they essentially had like a two-man healthy bench in all these games. Trey Turner, I don't believe, was available for any of this. I know we saw him in the on-deck circle the other night. Maybe, worst case, last chance, nobody else available, put him out there. But the fact that he wasn't in the lineup and wasn't used at all on Sunday, and then afterwards Davey said that he's hopeful to have him early in the week or midweek at the latest, tells me that this is not just some little minor thing and that he was actually available. So again, he's playing with a deck that's not even close to being fully stocked, and this is what you end up with. All right, so with Trey Turner, we have seen the Nats air in this regard before. To be fair to them, they're not the only team that has been guilty of this, but he misses all four games in this series. He is not yet on the 10-day injured list. Why? I think it boils down to two factors. One is that they were convinced all along this would not take 10 days, that he'd be back before that. Now, we'll see. You know, we're not there yet. Let's see if he does come back to play this week in San Diego or San Francisco, then it was fewer than 10 days. But also, as we've seen, if they were to put him on the IL, who did they have to call up? It was such a scramble to find themselves shortstops for a couple of days. They already got rid of one of them. So I think in their minds, unless they were certain that he was going to need 10 days off, it was better for them to play a man down for now four days and maybe more and at least have him on the back end of this stretch than it was to scramble and get somebody else up here who was not the same players. And you can debate that, whether that's the right strategy or not, whether they you know, didn't realize the severity of the injury or not. But that's where they are, is that even an injured Trey Turner, ultimately wasting a spot on the active roster is better than whatever they thought they could find out there. And that's another indictment of the lack of depth and the farm system. And we keep coming back to this. It doesn't say anything good about this organization that they don't trust people. I mean, the fact that they have to give a few dollars to the Kansas City Royals to get Alcides Escobar and he ends up being their starting shortstop these last few games tells you everything. Now, in fairness to Alcides, he had himself three hits on Sunday. So he did a nice job. And you know what? Mike Rizzo has had this pension in recent years 
for getting guys who look washed up and they come to the Nats and they find the fountain of youth and end up being super productive. So maybe Alcides Escobar is the next as Drupal Cabrera, Gerardo Parra, Josh Harrison, but that's not a way to make a living and you can't keep counting on that. It is brutal right now, this lack of farm system, this lack of people, like forget about highly touted prospects, just people you feel comfortable calling up. I mean, that's all we're talking about here. We're not, we're not talking about, you know, a bunch of Wander Francos in your system. Just guys you feel comfortable summoning to the major league level. They don't have anybody. They, they, they don't have people. What is going on in their farm system? Their farm system was one of the envies of baseball just a few years ago. This is incredible to me how it, it's like seemingly collapsed in recent years. That is a real big picture concern with this team right now. Yeah. So it's like the where's Wilmer Defoe? That's the guy, yeah. you know, that it would have been. And for several years it was. And, and here's what happens is the Wilmer Defoe's and the Michael A. Taylor's, you have three years of them where they have options that can be sent up and down. And after those three years, they either got to stick as big leaguers or you can't send them down without having to put them through waivers. And so you end up losing them. And that's why Michael Taylor is now a Royal and Defoe is a pirate. And that's fine, but you have to have the next wave of whoever it is to take over those spots. And this is where they don't have it. And, you know, yes, let's point out that Keyboom is hurt and Garcia is hurt and Jackson Clough at double A is hurt. And that's why, particularly with the infield, they were in this position over this week. But it's not like those are all those kind of great, obvious options to call up. Garcia is 20 years old and you wanted to be a prospect. And that's not really the spot you want to put him in. Keyboom is, is kind of a mess at this point. Now may have suffered a serious knee injury. We still don't know the details of it. So they're 4A players, as we like to call them. They're good enough to sometimes be in the big leagues, but probably better than AAA, but not good enough to stick long-term in the big leagues. And every team has them. And for some reason, this team now, this year, does not have enough of them, certainly those with options that could be called up for these kind of situations. I don't get it. I don't understand what happened. I said this a few episodes ago. The Nats really need to do like some sort of internal audit on this of how did we land in this position? Because they weren't always like this. This has kind of snuck up on all of us, like just how the team is like bereft of true options. And they're just really suffering for that, especially recently here. I mean, there is an element of a lot of things lining up improperly for them right now. But this is also, hey, you should have been better prepared for this and you weren't prepared at all. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park and make sure you stop by Silver Branch located in Metro Plaza just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The 2-0. Soto swings and skies one to left center field. This is playable. Pollock and Bellinger battling the sun. Who will take it? Bellinger will. And left center to retire the side. Soto hits a moon-high pop-up and the inning over. A few items here regarding some of the position players who were available to the Nets in this series. Juan Soto, and you noted this on Twitter, slammed his bat in frustration after popping up to end the seventh inning on Sunday. We have seen this with Juan throughout this season, him wearing his frustrations, him showing his frustrations visibly. And this was another underwhelming series for Juan Soto. Now, again, he gets on base. He goes one for three with a single and a walk on Sunday. So it's not like he did nothing in the game. In this series, he goes three for 12 with three walks. So three hits, three walks. That's not wretched or anything like that. But all three hits end up being singles. This is yet another instance of Juan Soto hitting for singles, but not hitting for any power. The slugging percentage is down to 431 on the season. The on-base percentage is at 400. You know, we've had this conversation many times. He hits balls hard, but he hits them into the ground. But here we are now, right? Kyle Schwarber's out for the foreseeable future. You've been without Trey Turner lately. If ever there was a time for Juan Soto to catch fire, this is the time. Like, this is when you want your superstar to carry you. And instead, it's this, like, new-look Soto that no one can really get a handle on. It's frustrating him clearly. I mean, he's obviously working at it. But man, for all of the talk about he's got to elevate baseballs, get the launch angle up, et cetera, the problem remains. It's not changing for Soto this year. It's not. You can see the frustration, like you said, on pitches that he knows he should have hit better. That was that one on the pop-up in the seventh inning. You knew that he knew that that was a pitch that he should have been driving hard somewhere, a 2-0 pitch that was over the plate. So yeah, it's really frustrating. Maybe, here's a theory kind of out there, maybe a couple of days in the thin, cool Coors Field air at the All-Star game will be what gets him going. And I don't believe he's going to be in the home run derby and nor that he deserved to be, but maybe that would actually be good. Get him to start swing, taking those swings and trying to elevate a ball at high elevation. And you know how they talk about like for like the Kyle Schwarbers before he got hurt, you don't want him to be in the home run derby because it might mess up your swing. Maybe it could actually fix Juan Soto's swing. Can we try some reverse logic? This is a George Costanza opposite situation. If whatever he's doing has been wrong, then the opposite must be true. 
So send him out there to Coors Field. Let him bat in the home run derby, and maybe that'll fix all his problems. So one of the greatest lines in television history, my name is George, I'm unemployed, and I live with my parents. And it worked. He picked up the girl at the diner. Uh, yes, we will get to the All-Star selections coming up. I actually heard this year at the All-Star game they're doing a, a double play derby, and Soto's been invited to that. So we'll see. Oh. We'll see how. Oh. Well, no, he's a prime candidate for that. So they want to see, like, who can hit into the most double plays consecutively. The Nats could have about three guys in that competition. Yeah, he would dominate it. Uh, in that regard. Well, like we said, at least Soto gets on base, okay? A 400 on base is nothing to uh, to poo-poo. Victor Robles, I mean, my God, I like Victor a lot. I've been a champion of Victor Robles for much of this season. I mean, this is, I hope, rock bottom, because this is about as bad as it gets offensively for an everyday player in a series. 0 for 11 with a walk. That's what you got from Victor Robles over all four games. And it wasn't just that. It was also these peculiar things that popped up with Victor over the course of the series. We talked in the last installment of the Nats Chat podcast, some of the stuff that popped up on Saturday night. He got thrown out and tried to steal second base for the third out in the bottom of the seventh. He popped up a bunt in the game. He had a defensive screw-up that John Smoltz hammered Robles for. Then on Sunday, 0 for 3 with three strikeouts, including striking out with batter's interference for the second out in the bottom of the fourth. I guess, you know, say Victor's getting creative with how he makes outs but he continues to make outs. Again, it's like the Soto conversation. We've had it a million times, but there's just like no progress being displayed here by Victor Robles as a hitter. You would have thought you would have seen some signs. I mean, we had the homer not that long ago. You thought, okay, maybe that gets him going here a little bit. It's like, no, man, he continues to really struggle at the plate this season. He looks lost right now, and he did this weekend, and especially on Sunday in those three strikeouts. One of the strikeouts, the last one, it's a one-two fastball down the pipe, and he just watched it go right past him. He's late on the fastball. He's ahead of the breaking ball. He doesn't know where he is timing-wise. It's not good. It's not a good spot. And the problem is they don't have anyone else. Even if Davey wanted to give him a day or two just to clear his head, they don't have anyone right now. Now, maybe Andrew Stevenson's going to be back in a couple days. He went on a rehab assignment, so he's close to being activated. But again, you're not talking about a Michael A. Taylor that you can plug in and know that he can get the job done for you. And so it's a real problem. We're now halfway through the season. This is the game 82 first game of the second half, and Victor Robles has one homer and 10 RBI. He's on pace, despite playing pretty much every day, he's on pace for two homers and 20 RBIs for the season. That's pathetic. You don't ever see that in today's game. And I don't know what they're going to do here. It's not good. Davey, I think, is frustrated by it. He knows that Victor is frustrated by it. And it's not working, but there isn't a real good viable alternative at the moment. And so he's going to have to play his way out of this. He's better than this. Even if he's not a top-notch elite big league hitter, like they all hoped he would be, he's better than this. This is, you know, worst in the league kind of hitting. And I I don't know why it has been uh, this way. He is Michael A. Taylor. That's what he's been this year. Very good defensively, but really bad offensively. Actually, it's funny. Robles, as bad as he's been, actually does have better batting numbers than Taylor has. And Taylor has been exceptional defensively for the Royals this year, but his offensive numbers are actually worse than Robles. But, like, this is what we have. We thought we were getting an upgrade, right? You go to Robles, highly tatted prospect, etc. Not there yet. Still waiting on him to blossom offensively. It's not happening. And it clearly, at least so far this year, you'd say he's regressed. He's gotten worse. I mean, this was a guy 17 homers a couple of years ago. I remember, too, they brought him up a little bit like 2017, 2018. Oh, he was electric, running around the bases, triples, a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. yeah. What happened to that guy? That was so exciting to watch. And that guy's like disappeared offensively this season. So that's been very difficult to see. 
Starling Castro does end up being a positive. I do want to continue to credit him. He ends up having a really nice series. Six for 11 with a double, five singles, and a couple of walks. He on Sunday as the number three batter. I mean, no, he shouldn't be number three batter, but he did what he could. Two for four, had a double, had an RBI single. So it is good to see that. And I know he got thrown out at second in trying to extend the hit into a double, but I do like a lot of what we're seeing from Josh Bell. He looks confident every game he plays in, or at least starts, it feels like he gets a hit or he gets on base sometimes, you know, multiple times in this game on Sunday, two out, six pitch walk, has a leadoff full count single as well. So I do like that, but it's just not enough right now offensively. They miss Schwarber in the worst way. They're missing Trey Turner. They need Juan Soto to hit for power. I mean, all these things we keep harping on here. So with Trey, you said maybe midweek, hopefully midweek. With Gomes, I guess it's just kind of wait and see if he can play Monday night at San Diego. Yeah, I guess so. Hopefully, you know, his arm doesn't swell up on that six-hour flight to San Diego, and he's good to go on Monday night. I mean, he's tough. He's as tough as any catcher I've covered, and you know how much they need him, and he knows how much they need him. So hopefully he's good to go for that. And Trey, within a few days, I think we'll see Stevenson here in a couple days, which will at least help somewhat in the left field situation for them. I'm going to go back to Bell real quick. And I agree with you. And I think for all that talk we had, you know, say about mid-May or so, about why isn't Zimmerman playing more? Well, look at their numbers since then, over the last month and a half. And Josh Bell is putting Ryan Zimmerman to shame right now. And that's why they stuck with him. And that's why we had to be careful not to get too excited about Zim. We always know he's been a streaky hitter. He was great in April and early May but eventually that was probably going to catch up with him. And now you're just hoping he can get hot again here at some point. But right now, Josh Bell is clearly the better option on a day-to-day basis for them. Yeah, he's doing a very nice job here lately. No doubt about that. Well, Joe Ross was the national starting pitcher in the 5-1 loss to the Dodgers at Nationals Park on Sunday. And Joe Ross was good for a fourth time in five starts. I have called Joe Ross, spin the wheel, make the deal, Joe Ross. You never know what you're going to get. Well, lately, you do kind of know, and that is he's really good here lately. And this was kind of a classic game in which the final line does not tell the story. Joe Ross was a lot better than what his final line ended up being, three runs in six and two-thirds innings. He finishes the game with 11 strikeouts versus no walks. He throws 70 strikes versus 31 balls on 101 pitches. I mean, that is Max Scherzer-esque, 70 strikes on 101 pitches. Gives up seven hits, including a homer to Michael Beatty to begin the top of the fourth inning, does issue a hit by pitch. But, you know, he gets charged with two runs top of the seventh. One of the runs is scored on a two-out ribby double that was given up by Brad Hand to Max Muncy on a one-two pitch. So Ross was a lot better than three runs in six and two-thirds. And Mark, Joe Ross early in the game, this was like Pedro Martinez circa 1999. Ross was electric early in this game, striking out the side, perfect top of the fourth, his velocity reaching 97 miles per hour. Where did this Joe Ross come from? This has been great to see here lately. And he maybe was never more dominant than he was in this game on Sunday. He's had better outings in terms of duration and in terms of runs allowed. But man, 11 strikeouts versus no walks. We're not used to seeing this from Joe Ross. And look at who he was facing, a big time lineup. Now I know Justin Turner wasn't in there. It wasn't the Dodgers complete A lineup, but it still had Mookie Betts, Max Muncie, Cody Bellinger, Chris Taylor, and others. That was a really impressive performance to me. That was as hard as he has thrown since 2016, I believe. It's his most strikeouts in a game since 2017. This is all when he was still an up-and-comer, pre-Tommy John surgery and all that. So this was big time for him. 
And you just hope that there's now more of these kind of starts and less of the blow-up starts that we had seen in the first half of the year. And it seems like there's been a little bit of a pattern here with some more of them. Yeah, there's still the occasional one that doesn't go right for him. But this was big. You can tell he's pitching with confidence now. They have confidence in him. He is consistently getting a little deeper in the game. I mean, it would have been nice to get him through the seventh. He started to fade there a little bit. But, you know, I think we're picking nits at this point. He looked really good and... You just hope that this is now a progression. He's pitching every fifth day. Finally, he's healthy. There's no issues going on. He's finally in the groove that we all kind of were waiting for him to be in. And you just hope he can keep riding this throughout the summer. We've talked about this with Eric Fetty. We are certainly seeing this with Joe Ross. And that is a guy who is traditionally a non-strikeout pitcher become a strikeout pitcher. Now, I don't think we plant the flag of victory just yet. But here's the bottom line. I mentioned Ross having been good in four of his last five starts. Ross, over his last five starts now, 40 strikeouts versus four walks. I mean, again, that's something Max Scherzer does. 40 strikeouts versus four walks in a five-start stretch. I think one of the things that's always held back Ross is that he's not more of a strikeout guy, so he doesn't have that swing and miss stuff. And so, you know, you let some balls get put in play, and that can end up doing you harm. But Ross is missing bats here, and if this is a new Joe Ross, I mean, the velocity has been up and some guys do that. Like Jacob deGrom is the ultimate example of that, right? Where like somehow you throw harder as you get older here. You know, we know Ross has dealt with injury in recent years. So maybe now he's he's feeling good. He didn't pitch at all last year. So maybe he's like ultra fresh as this season goes on. But 40 strikeouts versus four walks, that is so encouraging. And that's the kind of thing that makes you feel like what he's doing right now isn't flukish. This isn't you know, kind of the John Lester thing where Lester's ERA was under four, but the whip was like, you know, 1.9. And you're like, this is great that Lester's doing this, but is this really sustainable? This kind of thing is sustainable when you're generating strikeouts and you're not issuing walks. 11 strikeouts, no walks. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you're facing. That is a big time start. And you have to have talent and conviction in your pitches and everything to make that happen. So yes, I do think this is significant for him. And like I said before, I think there's an element of, of confidence in there that for all those times that he was jerked around and what we're going to call you up for a little bit and then send you back down. Well, we're going to put you in the bullpen for now. And it's kind of like we've talked about with Fetty a lot. He's just finally healthy and able to go out there every fifth day and not be looking over his shoulder as though his job is on the line every time. I think it makes a difference. And you see now that he's been doing it for a couple of months that we see this with Max Scherzer too. He always peaks, I feel like in like June, July. That's when Rax is really at his best because you get into a rhythm. And I think that's true in this case. And so if nothing else this year, if everything else goes horribly wrong for them this year, if they get to the end of the season and Joe Ross and Eric Fetty have proven they deserve to be long-term members of this rotation, that's a win. That's a win for the organization. That's something they've waited for for so long. And it'll make next offseason so much easier for them because that's not something they're going to have to look for. Cavalli, Fetty, Ross. That's Uh your Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz of the next generation for the Nationals here. There you go. Well, the Nats do have to go to the bullpen in this game. And once again in this series, the Nats bullpen does not deliver. This was a bad series for the bullpen and not just because of that horrendous nightmare of a seventh inning on Friday night. Three Nats relievers on Sunday combined to give up two runs and two into third innings. And really, it was worse than that. So Brad Hand is brought in first. He officially tosses one into third scoreless innings, but he allows a crucial inherited runner to score. Now, I want to credit Davey Martinez here because I said after the Friday night game, I would have liked for Davey to have at least entertained the notion of bringing Brad Hand in in that seventh inning. Well, sure enough, in this game, and we all know that Davey Martinez listens religiously to the Nats Chat podcast, Davey brings Brad Hand on with two outs, a runner on first, and the Nats down 2-1 in the top of the seventh. So I applaud Davey big time for deploying his ace reliever in that spot. 
but the decision did not work out. So that's not on Davey. That's on hand. He's got to come in and get the job done. He does not. Gives up the two-out RBI double to Max Muncy to right center on the one-two pitch. Dodgers go up 3-1. The guy who really killed the Nats, though, from a bullpen standpoint in this game was Wander Suero. You know, Suero to me is another one of these Joe Ross types of sometimes Suero looks great and then sometimes he just doesn't have it. And he did not have it on Sunday. He was a complete mess. Top of the ninth, allows two runs, gets just one out, faces five batters, gets just one out. Leadoff single by Gavin Lux, single by Austin Barnes. Scary moment with the hit by pitch on Justin Turner. And then you get, uh, they're recording it out, Suero giving up a one out bases loaded two run double in Muncie there. He ends up giving up the run scoring hit and the uh, the Dodgers end up putting up a couple of runs in that ninth inning. You get some Andres Machado in the top of the ninth. But, uh, you know, the bullpen, we all know the state of it. It's not good. Hand and Suero, two guys you like to be able to lean on and really more so Suero than hand. But neither guy ends up doing as you truly want them to do in this game on Sunday. We got bad Suero, and that happens with him, as we've seen over the years. There's very little in between for him. It's either good Suero or bad Suero, and you can tell one or two batters into it what you're going to get, and you got bad Suero. I want to talk about the hand decision to bring him in, because I thought this was significant. Again, it didn't work out, but I think the process was right. The result was wrong. And Davey said after the game, we may see more of this now, especially as they start to get other relievers back healthy, Hudson in particular. And he's talked to Brad Hand about this, and he's on board with it. If there's a spot earlier in the game, even in the seventh inning, where it makes sense matchup-wise with lefties to bring Hand in, he's going to do that, and he'll figure out the ninth when they get there. Now, like I said the other night, he didn't do it because I didn't think he had anybody else to pitch the ninth. I don't know what they would have done in this case if they did take a lead or was tied and they had to go to somebody else to finish the game. But he knew that Brad Hand was plenty fresh. He hadn't pitched in five days, and so he was going to get multiple innings out of this. don't think he would have gone all the way because that would be seven outs, but I think he was going to let him at least come back and pitch the eighth, which he did. Gave up the double to Muncie, I get it, but I liked the thought behind it, and I think that was a sign of desperation from a manager who was saying, yes, we're down a run, but this is our one chance to try to keep it at a one-run deficit and maybe have a chance at coming back to win this game. It didn't work out, but I liked the thought process behind it, and I want to see more of it. I think that's what you do. I think, and this is something that I think Davey's actually been pretty consistent at over the years, is that Davey's not a slave to the save. Davey is a guy who is more than willing to use relievers in different spots. We've seen it with Sean Doolittle. We've seen it with Brad Hand. I mean, Hand already has a good number of, what, four or five out saves on the season. And, you know, I get the concern of, well, who's going to get the outs later in the game, but I think you just want to get to later in the game and kind of figure it out then. And if Hand can help you do that, then go ahead and do that. I would not be surprised and I'm only semi-kidding when I say Davey listens to the podcast, but I would not be surprised if Davey kind of looked at that game getting away from the Nats on Friday night in that seventh inning and said to himself, geez, you know, I didn't use Brad Hand. Like, maybe I should have done that. And I know in the moment it's not easy. I recognize that. But I think you have to be liberal with your usage with these guys. And Davey was. Didn't work out. But that doesn't mean that that was the wrong call. So I do want to applaud Davey for doing that. But the Nats end up losing the game and end up losing the series. It does not go well. We did, though, get some very good news, and I would also classify it as surprising news later on Sunday, as the Nationals have at least three All-Stars. And I say at least because you never know who may drop out, and so you end up getting a fourth All-Star. But the Nats have three All-Stars, but not a single one is the guy who we all assumed was like a layup to make the National League All-Star team. So Trey Turner in, Juan Soto in, Kyle Schwarber in, Max Scherzer not in. The guy who I think we all would have put our money on to definitely be an all-star for the Nationals is not an all-star, at least not yet. I feel great for Trey and Juan and Kyle, but that's really odd to me that Max, at least not yet, is an all-star this year. 
I was surprised they were surprised by it as well, Al. When you look at what he's done in the first half of this year, and I know that this has been a great year for pitchers and there's a lot of good candidates out there, but Max Scherzer in the first half of the season is arguably pitching as well, if not better, than he has in previous years of his career when he's been fantastic. He's been an all-star every year they've had an all-star game since 2012 is the last time he missed one. That's back when he was with the Tigers. This has been a given every year that Max Scherzer would be selected for the all-star game. He's on a stretch right now of 11 straight starts, giving up two or fewer runs. That's the longest of his career. His whip is way below one. He ranks among the league leaders in everything. So yes, I was surprised. But what I will say is, I bet you he is, if not number one, the number one or two on the list of alternates that when somebody pulls out, remember, there's always injuries. And there's also the rule that if you pitch the weekend before the All-Star game, they will let you come off the active roster so that you don't have to pitch on Tuesday in Colorado and they'll put someone else on. And because Max is only making one start this week on the road trip, and I believe it's Wednesday in San Diego, he will be fine to appear in that game. So I'm not ruling it out yet. Have a hunch that in the end, he may find his way there. Now, as for the hitters, here's the shocking thing to me, and it occurred to me after the fact. You can argue, of course, all three of them are are worthy of it. But would you have guessed that the Nationals lineup, which has been such an issue this year, would have three all-stars on it? That's pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. Three all-stars from this lineup. It is. I mean, I think I'm very happy Juan Soto made it. I don't know that he's necessarily worthy of being an all-star this year. I think he's had a good first half, like if you look at his play in its totality, offense, defense, but I don't know that it's necessarily all-star caliber. Like, has he really been one of the best outfielders in the National League? I think that's highly debatable. But obviously, he's got the talent of any outfielder in baseball, no doubt. The Kyle Schwarber thing is so funny because it's all based on one month, but the month was so spectacular that it has elevated his overall numbers to all-star caliber. It's one of the weirdest trajectories you'll ever see a guy arrive at being all-star worthy. But I think you have to say Schwarber has been all-star worthy, especially when you factor in his defense, which maybe slipped lately. But especially with like what he was doing from a throwing out base runner standpoint, it's not just with the bat that Kyle Schwarber's done well this first half of the season. He's actually done some things pretty well defensively. So he deserves credit for that. And we know Trey Turner's had himself a very good first half of the year. So you definitely don't laugh any of those selections out of the room. You can debate some of them. You know, you certainly can debate Soto, but it's not like it's an insult to the game of baseball that Juan Soto got selected for this All-Star game. So it, it is odd. Baseball is so unique in that way because you can have great individual performers, but it can all end up not meaning much. Like there's a lot more to it than just that. One guy can only do so much. I mean, the ultimate example, right, is the greatest season in Nationals history, Bryce Harper's 2015. The team doesn't even make the playoffs. You know, there's only so much one guy can end up doing. But it's great. I'm happy for those guys. You know, it's great representation for the Nationals franchise. I don't think the All-Star game is something to be taken ultra seriously. So, you know, you just want to promote the game, grow the game. I think this is very good. And go back to Max Scherzer real quick. It is a jaw dropper. His numbers so far this year, his whip, if it holds, which is going to be tough, but if it holds, it's the best whip of his career. His ERA, 210, if it holds, it's the best ERA of his career. His ERA plus, which factors in ballpark and the rest of the league. So if you say, well, this has been a year of a pitcher so far, okay, fine. His ERA plus, if it holds, normalizes everything. That's the best of his career. I mean, again, I I brought this up, but I don't think we should take for granted. Max Scherzer is still pitching at a Cy Young level. We didn't know if that was still possible off what we saw last year, second half of 2019. He's back at that Cy Young level and then some on the year this year. Let me ask you this, though. With 
obviously the All-Star break and then you start your post-All-Star break portion of the season. If Max pitches on Tuesday night, and we know how uh, particular Max is now about, you know, four days rest and I got to feel a certain way if I'm going to pitch, et cetera. Will that impact the Nats' ability to start him game one of the post-All-Star break portion of the season? Or could he still start that game one so you can maximize the Max outings after the All-Star break? Yeah, it's possible. I think if he went on Tuesday in Colorado, I think he'd probably be okay for Friday, especially if he only throws one inning. And who knows if he's even used in the All-Star game. We'll see. I don't think he cares if he goes to it or not. He's done it enough, like I said. So that's not an issue. But yeah, he will always do what's best for the team. And so maybe that means he doesn't go to Colorado in the end. But I think even if he went one inning on Tuesday, that he'd be okay to come back and pitch on Friday. All right, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can always email the Nats Chat Podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Also, a t-shirt for the secret weapon by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. If every instinct you have is wrong then the opposite would have to be right. (laughs) Yes, I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. (laughs) Oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. (laughs) My name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. Victoria, hi. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.